Welcome to the 20-Minute Bible Study, a teaching podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name's Adam. I'm the pastor at Faith on Hill. And while I put 20 minutes on the timer, why don't you open your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 22. Well, with 20 minutes on the clock, the rebellion is over. The nation is beginning to come back and coalesce together, although the fracture lines have been seen. The lines that will eventually divide the nation north and south, the kingdom of Israel to the north, which fell into idolatry and was conquered by the Assyrians, and the kingdom of Judah to the south, which had some good kings, had some bad kings, um, but eventually was captured by the Babylonians, and for 70 years, The land was left desolate, but that's another story. Once again, it says there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. So David is back. He's ruling in his kingdom, but, um, you know, at the same time, um, you know, there's, there's problems. The enemies of Israel and of King David see this as a moment of opportunity. He's weak. Uh, There's internal strife, so they strike. And David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines, and he became exhausted. So maybe they're not 100% wrong. David's older. He's lost a step. Uh, He doesn't have as as strong a support. And Ishi Benob, one of the descendants of Raphah, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, he said that he would kill David. Um, and, And that 300 shekels is about 700 pounds. So he was a very strong man. Uh, he was able to not only carry, I could, and I, I could carry a spear like that, but effectively use it in battle. Uh, the, the idea was that he had incredible strength and skill. And he swore he he's going to kill David. And, uh, but Abishai, the son of Zerai, came to David's rescue, and he struck the Philistine down and killed him. So David is in the middle of battle, but he's older, he's tired, and he's about to be killed. And this Abishai comes and saves the king. Then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle, so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. David's problems stemmed in large part from when he did not go to battle. David's downhill cycle, which he never fully recovered from, started when he did not go to battle. He should have been out at battle, Instead, he stayed home, and it was there that he saw Bathsheba, and all his decline of his kingdom began to start. But now, he's not going to battle. Why is it different? The Bible says that for everything, there is a time and a season and a place under heaven. During the days, decades earlier, he should have gone to battle. And now, he is in a season of his life when it's time to stay home and let others do the fighting. I was having a conversation with a very godly man that I respect greatly. And he's in his mid to late 80s. And he was talking to me about his concerns for the world situation, the world that his children are living in, the world that his grandchildren are growing up in. And I understood what he was saying. Some of what he was saying were fears that I share. And some of what he was saying were fears that I think... I think anyone who is older has for a world that they understand less and less. And I remember looking at him and I said, you know, with all respect, 
That's why it's not your fight anymore. Pray, love, serve, care. But those decisions that you're worried about will be made either by my generation or more likely by our kids, my kids, your grandkids' generation. And it's our job to care for them, to love them, to shape them, but they'll make their decisions. There are moments where it's time for us to go to battle, and there's times where it's time to let other people go. David had more strength than many his age. He was still able to handle himself in combat, but he couldn't keep up for hours and hours of fighting. He had to be saved, and they had to say, nope, no more. And he had the humility to listen to his men. In the course of time, there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. And after this, Shibakai, the Hushathite, killed Sfa, one of the descendants of Rapa. In another battle with the Philistines at Gob, Elahan, the son of Jair, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath, the Girtite, whose spear shaft had been like a weaver's rod. In another battle, which took place at Gath, there, were, there was a huge man with six fingers on each of his hands and toes, 24 in all. He was also a descendant from Rapa. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shema, David's brother, killed him. These four were descendants of Rapa and Gath, and they fell at the hands of David and his men. This is a sort of a history. I don't really think there's a, a, a large spiritual analogy here other than to say, sometimes when we trust the next generation, the next generation does the job. And I think that one of the challenges that church people have is trusting the next generation trusting them. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do things different. They're going to act and make different choices, and they wouldn't do things the way we would. Sometimes just because it's just different. Sometimes because what we would have done would have maybe worked back in the day, but not anymore. And they're going to do the, the things that need to be done. And here, as David steps back from battle, it says that others took his place and did what needed to be done. And David sang to the Lord words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and the hand of Saul. So David is, is basically, there's two ways to look at this. Either this was written uh, after David became king or right about the time he became king and, and you know Saul is gone and he feels like he's been vindicated and delivered. And the, the, the scribes and editors put this here to sort of, cap everything off. That's one possibility. It's also possible that at the end of his life, David looked back and saw how much God had delivered him from, and this is sort of his final song of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. Either one works. And it says in verse 2, he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I shall take refuge. My shield, the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge and my savior. For from violent people, you save me. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I've been saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled around me. Torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God. So David is sort of recapping things that have happened to him, how he felt about things, and praising the greatness of God for all that he has done. I love new music from old artists. Uh, and I, I have for a long time, even in my 20s. You know, I'm in my 40s now, but in my 20s is the same thing. Um, 
you know, I was going to Neil Young concerts and seeking out uh, Neil Diamond back back in the 2000s put out a, a record called 12 Songs. It's like him on acoustic guitar. It's fantastic. Um, Willie Nelson puts out a new record and I'm checking it out. So I love um, I love hearing what what older artists do. I think there's still like good things out there. Foo Fighters new records really good. And I, I think there's something to that. I want I want to hear what somebody's doing at a different point in their life. Um, and so I appreciate what David's doing here is he's, he's basically writing his final song. Um, we sing that old hymn, All Creatures of Our God and King, and the legend around that song is that one of the verses, that it's part of a bigger um, poetic work that, that he did, but one of the verses, he, he kind of penned the ideas on his deathbed so that it could be finished out because the idea was a, a life to, you know, cradle to grave sort of praising of God. So, so David's recapping all that's happened, all that's, that God has done, all that's happened in his life. He says, from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The fountains of the heaven shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherub and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy around him, the rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered his enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed. The foundations of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath from his nostrils. I've read quite a bit of mythology. I'm aware of mythology. And you can say, oh, this is just another ancient mythology. And there's certainly uh, naturalistic uh, descriptors being used, and you can see some similarities. But anyone who's read the Bible versus reading, for example, Greek mythology or Norse mythology or what have you, that there is a, a difference that's not, you know, there's a, gen, there's a genre style here. David is, it's very clear, the Bible's clear. He's written a poetic song. These are song lyrics. Uh, these aren't, you know, the tale being told to explain everything. These are song lyrics within a historical document. He reached down from on high and took hold of me, drew me out of the deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. David at the end of his life is not just sitting around going, I did this and I did that and I was so great and I was so strong. Rather, David at the end of his life is attributing victory and honor and strength to the Lord. What I have came from God. What I have was not of my own doing. The Lord, verse 21, has dealt with me according to my righteousness and according to the clean, cleanness of my hands, that he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, and I am not guilty of turning from my God. All his laws were before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him. I have kept myself from sin. And the Lord has recorded, rewarded me according to my righteousness and according to my uh, cleanness in his sight. Ooh. So the interesting thing about that, remember that if this is a, um, if this was written, you know, at the end of his time with Saul, um, it fits better in terms of reality. You know, David could say like, nobody's perfect. I didn't do everything right. But he says, generally speaking, you know, I kept the faith I, I have, I've stayed true to God. 
Um, you know, even in the darkest times, even when the king was trying to kill him, he didn't abandon the faith. Um, that he was, he's like, look, I'm going to do what is right. Uh, he still fought to protect Israel. He never uh, went after Saul directly. He didn't try to kill him when he had a chance. So there, it's a little more in reality. If this was written at the end of David's life, and he's writing it, you know, at the end of all of the things we've read, then you kind of go, oh man, there's some revisionist history here. I would say that there's multiple things that could, could go here. If this was written earlier in the time of Saul, and that's the identifier that we're given at the beginning of the chapter, then it fits with reality. And the editors put it there as a capstone to the story. And in their eyes, they say, look, yeah, David wasn't perfect. And, we've, and, the, and, and the people who put 2 Samuel together, and as we talked about in the Starting Points podcast, which you can check out, we talk about books of the Bible. When we got to 2 Samuel, um, you know, it's attributed to Samuel in name, but it was more likely put together from historical records and documents uh, by scribes and priests in the time of like Ezra and Nehemiah and the return from Babylon. Um, as, they, as they found the old documents in the city and were told about that in Nehemiah, that they found the books of the law and the writings of the prophets. And so they're just kind of capstoning, you know what, look, David wasn't perfect, but God vindicated him, and they, they did that. That's one, one possibility. I mean, there's another truth that says, look, we, none of us are, are clean except that God makes us clean. Uh, you know, God is the one that justifies us. And if, in, in David's eyes, he says, look, yeah, I'm still here. And he's sort of saying that because I'm still here, that shows that God has accepted me. All right. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. To the humble, you save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. You, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. With your help, I advanced against a troop. And with my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his ways are perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. His shield, all who take refuge in him. He shields all who take refuge in him. That's true. Uh, now, when it says the Lord's word is flawless, there's a big debate about inerrancy. I don't think that this verse speaks one way or the other to it. Um, it's, it's, what David is ascribing in, in a poetic genre is to say that God's word, what he speaks to his people through prophet, through apostle, is perfect. Our understanding of it might not be perfect, um, Although I think our translations are very good, and I could, man, I could go into that. Um, I am more comfortable and convinced that we have an accurate version of the Bible than I've ever been. I've been teaching the Bible for over 20 years, and, and I am more confident and comfortable in the whole thing with the Bible than I've ever been before. Who is like the Lord, verse 32? Or who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my ways secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You make your saving, my, your saving help my shield. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. I pursued my enemies and crushed them. I did not turn back until they were destroyed. I crushed them completely and they could not rise. They fell beneath my feet. You armed me with strength for battle. You humbled my adversaries before me. You made my enemies turn back in flight and destroyed my foes. And this is accurate. You know, he's saying, I did this, I did this, but it was God who made it happen. 
They cried out for help, but there was no one there to save them to the Lord, but he did not answer. I beat them as a fine dust to the earth. I pounded and trampled them like mud in the streets. You have delivered me from the attacks of peoples. You have preserved me as the head of nations. People I did not know now serve me. Foreigners cower before me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. They all lose heart. They come trembling from their strongholds. The, the Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be my God, the rock of my Savior. He is the God who avenges me. He puts the nations under me, who sets me free from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From a violent man you rescued me. Therefore, I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. He gives his king great victories. He shows unfailing kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. And so this was David's final song that is attributed to him by the scribes, either uh, written at the time when Saul was defeated and he's about to become king, or it was written at the end of his life, or I suppose another possibility is that uh, it was written when you know, Saul was defeated and then he revised it later. I mean, that happens all the time, you know. Um, I, I, uh, I kind of made it a goal recently um, to watch some of uh, the Jane Austen films that I hadn't seen. And so I watched Mansfield Park recently. And what was interesting about it is that she wrote it before Sense and Sensibility or Pride and Prejudice or Emma or any of the really famous ones. But a publisher took it, had the rights <coughs> and never published it. And so she got the rights back after she had um, gotten famous and respected and everything and then went and revised it. So it was an original story. So there's elements of the story that feel very like early Jane Austen, but then there's also elements of the story that feel like a developed thing later, some, something that an older writer would put in uh, because it had both. So it's also possible that David took an original piece that he had written during one period of his life and then revised it uh, and put it there. I think the thing to say at the end is none of us are truly honest with ourselves. David himself said, Lord, search me, and the, search me and know me and show me if there's any crooked way in me. If David wrote this at the end of his life, then there's revisionist history. If he wrote it in that earlier point in his life, you could argue that he's being intellectually honest with himself. Either way, it's very hard for people to have self-awareness. It's very hard for people. Some people have so much success and they think I did this and I did that. And what did they do that the Lord did not give them the ability, the strength, or the opportunity to do? What did they do that God did not prosper them to do it? There's others who, who uh, see themselves in a weird kind of like always down on themselves and they don't see how loved by God that they are and the way that God has provided for them. And all they can see is the worst and the bad. And, and they need a little more of this in their life. They need a little more just like, oh, the Lord has done great things and I will rejoice in the Lord. Either way, um, I hope that my life ends like David's in the sense that it ends in the praise of God and in worship. I, I don't want to, we're going to get into next week. There's some odd stuff at the end of David's life. I don't think David is somebody you particularly want to aspire to in terms of like your end of life goals. But in this moment, I hope that the end of my life is marked by praising God and marked by declaring his greatness, his goodness to my life in all times, to all people in all ways. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. New episodes are released on Apple, Pod Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
All you have to do is search Faith on Hill. You can also find video versions on our Facebook page and YouTube. If you could like, subscribe, share all the standard social media stuff, we do appreciate it. I want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the 20-Minute Bible Study. 